Hey, this is Pius. Just wanted to give you some great news before the episode starts. If you haven't heard, the podcast will be at South by Southwest this March in Austin, Texas. So Rachel and I will present some hands-on workshops for educators and professional engineers. Look us up for more details. And if you stick around to the very end of the episode, you might get a teaser of what's in store. This is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast for November 7th, 2016. What's your favorite ice cream? I'd always say chocolate chip cookie dough. Probably we have like an orange chocolate ice cream that tastes like those chocolate oranges that you get at Christmas. When I go place to place, I will try the resalted caramel. Like that's my benchmark ice cream. I honestly just enjoy a good bowl of plain vanilla ice cream. So many people love ice cream, including students and including me, your host, Pius. For this episode, I wondered how you could take something so ubiquitously enjoyed, like ice cream, and use it to hook students into engineering. A trip to my local ice cream factory helped me sort out my thoughts. Let's start with two engineering challenges. The first one is a challenge of imagination. If you could create and have any ice cream related technology or product that you wanted, what would it be? I asked this to Natalie and Frankie, two workers at an ice cream shop in Austin. I'd have to say an ice cream scoop that you never have to put in water so it gets warm enough to cut through. I know it's out there somewhere, but I can't find it yet. Uh, making ice cream with like dry ice, like maybe in one of those whipped cream containers or something so you can make it real quick. Uh, Oh, I don't know. I like, think that'd be really cool. Like a spray ice cream kind of thing? Yeah, I think just like freezing it real quick so it's like oh. that consistency. Yeah, whipping cream, what flavor you want, and then able to quick, a quick freeze free- it. Oh, right. Like you see on, on the Food Network, those yeah, giant so machines. you can do like custom flavors and stuff or something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. Okay, thank you. Those are neat ideas. And Natalie and Frankie came up with them pretty fast. Maybe they think about ice cream more than the average consumer because they work with it. Could students come up with creative ideas quickly? Could you? The second challenge is a big old design challenge. Suppose you have 12 ice cream shops located all around town in Austin, Texas, spread out across 20 miles of the city. And you have to supply ice cream from your ice cream factory to all 12 stores every day, even when the traffic is bad and the summers are hot. How would you design your system to supply all your shops with delicious, perfectly frozen ice cream all the time to keep your customers happy? We'll revisit these challenges later in the episode. For now, to learn more about ice cream, let's go to the ice cream production facility for Amy's Ice Cream in Austin, Texas, to hear from an expert. um, My name is Joe Morris. I uh, do purchasing and production for Amy's Ice Creams, and uh, I've been an ice cream man for uh, knocking on the door 20 years. Joe started at Amy's Ice Cream back when he was attending the University of Texas at Austin, and he was even certified to become a Latin teacher. But upon graduation, he was having so much fun that he stayed at Amy's. We're a uh, kind of a small but but local um, 
ice cream company out, out of Austin, Texas, started by Amy. She's my boss. Uh, still runs the company to this very day. If you're coming in to enjoy ice cream, it's usually because you're celebrating something. You're treating yourself, or it's a birthday, or uh, you know, you got a good good grade on your report card. Uh, or conversely, if you've had a crummy day, if you walk out your front door, you stub your toe, and your day rolls downhill from there. Um, it's ice cream is kind of a, a socially polite and acceptable way to pick your spirits up. Uh, ice cream is what we make, but what we're, we're really selling and what our main product is 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 that memory. It's it's uh, it's the enjoyment that comes with eating ice cream. And so we, our, our company motto is to make people's day. Ice cream is just kind of the vehicle by which we do that. Following this bigger mission. Amy's Ice Creams grew from the original store in the 1980s to now 12 locations across Austin in 2016, suspiciously similar to the design challenge I gave earlier, I know. And today, all the ice cream is being made here. This is where we make all the ice cream. We do what's called uh, small batch processing. It means we make one batch at a time. Joe gave me a tour of the white-walled Amy's production facility, with machinery constantly humming under the high ceilings and people working at their stations. See what uh, this one's not not running right now, but basically it's just a a big metal tube, and this is a stirring me- mechanism that you put in, and you slide it in there, and it stirs and kind of scrapes the walls. Joe was describing a few large stainless steel machines against the wall that were constantly stirring and freezing ice cream. Even though these were small batch machines relative to bigger factories, they still make many gallons more ice cream than your home ice cream maker. The product, when it gets kind of frozen point, is about 26 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, To ice cream, that's actually a a pretty warm day. Uh, In fact, it looks like she's got ready to pull out a, a fresh batch See, it kind of comes out of pudding soft consistency. Then Joe pointed out the really tall blast freezers on the other side of the room. They put the soft, freshly churned ice cream in there to harden overnight. Tomorrow it'll be frozen at that, you know, negative 25 degrees. And then it'll be ready. It'll be the finished product of ice cream that you're used to eating now. Yeah, at yeah. 26 degrees, negative 25 degrees, it's too hard to scoop. You could uh, get a spoon right. in there, so yeah, you, yeah. you kind of temper it back up to a warmer freezing temperature. Yeah. About negative 10 to 0 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what most standard home freezers are at. So this is actually our cake department. So what they're doing is they're actually building and decorating cakes. Because um, uh, what we do is we take the soft ice cream and we put it into a cake pan, one of these and kind of makes a little hockey puck of ice cream. And then they take basically two equal-sized pieces of cake and build kind of a big cake and ice cream sandwich out of it. So put yeah. some cake down, put a little fudge or maybe some praline sauce, kind of as a, act as a little sticking agent, a little extra insulation, and another yeah, piece yeah. of cake. And then the ice cream is kind of sandwiched there in the middle, and they fresh whip some, some frosting, and then they frost and decorate the cakes and what what happens is the cake and the frosting all act as insulators mm-hmm. to the ice cream that way the ice cream doesn't melt and it gives them the chance to decorate and then they can freeze the cake when it's over and that way it doesn't just kind of leak all out yeah yeah that's the one thing you kind of always have to consider is is kind of that thermal exchange of keeping the ice cream cold until the point that you want to eat it yeah yeah 
On this tour alone, Joe already gave several interesting ideas for integrating ice cream with engineering class. You could base some thermodynamics lessons on getting ice cream to the right temperatures or insulating your ice cream cake with just the right amount of frosting. Maybe they have to design the water circulation system for cooling the freezers. You could say the ideas were churning in my head. Joe showed a lot of the machines and processes of the Amy's production facility, but there was also a lot to say about the ice cream itself. Amy's likes to call it good mood food, but what is it really? Um, ice cream is about 60% water, um, and then it's about 15% of sugar or syrup solution. Now, the sugar's there to, A, add the sweet flavor that people enjoy, but physically, um, what it does is it makes it to where the ice cream freezes a little easier. It depresses the freezing point of the ice cream uh, so that it's able to be kind of that soft, you know, ball of ice cream that's edible, that's not crunchy. Again, if it's 60% water, you take anything that's 60% water and you freeze it, it becomes basically just a big chunk of ice and you can't stick a spoon in there, you, you can't eat it. But the sugar mixed in uh, kind of makes a, a solution and then you also have some some milk protein solids, about usually about a 10% of the milk protein, and then anywhere from 10 to 20% butterfat content. And between the sugar and the butterfat content, you have most of your flavor, but you also have the two things that help you take that water and make it to more manageable ice crystals. So to review, Joe gave the rough formula of ice cream being about 60% water, 15% sugar, maybe 10% milk solids, and the rest being butterfat content for flavor. We also know that good ice cream that's smooth has as tiny ice crystals as possible. So the kind of three main science things that you can do to that is control kind of the, the, the emulsory properties. So it's the butterfat and the sugar, uh, and sometimes you add other uh, uh, natural emulsifiers like egg yolks. Uh, or some gums, like vegetable gums or pectins. So, and then the, the other thing that, that's in there is the air bubbles. So, when you're stirring the ice cream, you're kind of act naturally whipping a little bit of air in there. Um, some ice creams will have pretty high air content. Uh, we, we're what's considered a super premium ice cream, so we actually try to keep our air content as low as possible, but we have a higher butterfat content. So it's get more of the, the good stuff and less air and still trying to make a really... Uh, small crystal creamy ice cream. If you haven't seen what ice cream looks like under a microscope, you should Google it. You can see the mixed pockets of ice, fat, and air in the ice cream emulsion. Trying to freeze the ice cream as fast as possible and, and stirring it uh, while you're freezing it is the best way to not only get that air in, but also get those ice crystals as small as possible. So to get tiny ice crystals, you can mess around with a formula, and you can also freeze as fast as possible while mixing air in. This already sounds similar to the classic chemical engineering techniques of designing products and processes. The product here being the ice cream mix, and the process being how you mix it all together and freeze it. When talking about how Amy's comes up with new flavors, Joe described what engineers sometimes call adaptive redesign. They start with an ice cream recipe that they know already works, and they make changes and additions starting from there. 
We start off with a base mix that is made to our spe specific recipe. Um, if we ju it's just milk, butter, sugar, and eggs, and it basically is our sweet cream ice cream. So we have a flavor called sweet cream. It's basically unflavored ice cream, but that's the basis for every single flavor we build off of. And then beyond that, we know how to build a recipe. So to make vanilla, we add vanilla. To make chocolate, we actually cook in chocolate. To, to make strawberries, we, we chop up and stir some strawberries in there and make strawberry ice cream. I have a joke that I tell kind of groups of kids. I say, if you want to make banana ice cream, you just peel a bunch of bananas and you mash them up in there put them in the milk, you have banana milk, freeze and stir that banana milk and you'll get banana ice cream. If you want to make peppermint ice cream, you put a little bit of peppermint in the milk, take your peppermint to milk, stir it and freeze, you get peppermint ice cream. I mean, I could take my shoes off my feet, chop my shoes up, stir my shoes into the milk, and we could make some shoe-flavored ice cream. Now, whether or not anybody would want to eat it is a full other question, but we have the ability to make the shoe-flavored ice cream. They've been doing this long enough that they also know some boundary conditions for their ice cream experiments. We, we, do, we do measure and we do build recipes and you kind of know what parameters to stay within. Because um, if, if we tried to make uh, Oreo cookies and cream ice cream and use too many Oreos, if we used so many Oreos that you didn't taste any ice cream actually in there, it was just a bunch of frozen cookies, right, right. again, it's, your proportions are off and you're not enjoying it. So it, it's kind of knowing... Like you need at least this much, so again, you want everybody to have a little bit of Oreo cookie in there, but you don't want to have a full Oreo in every single yeah. bite. And so it's kind of finding that that's where you kind of work within your, here's my window and here's too much, here's not enough. And so I need to find somewhere kind of really happy right there in the middle. Testing and data are critical when evaluating their ice creams. When we get a new flavor, we send it out to a store and we actually engage not just our, our scoops and, and everybody in the company, but... Um, a lot of our stores will be kind of our test kitchens, and so they'll say, hey, there's a brand new flavor that we're, we're beta testing here. Yeah. And we'll have, uh, we'll, we'll basically ask each customer that comes in, hey, can you help us sample this? And yeah. Tell us what you think. We'll have, uh, give them a taster spoon of, of the flavor, and then we have two buckets. One bucket says yay, one bucket says nay. Uh, hey, this is a good flavor. Yay, let's keep it. You know what? Not my cup of tea, nay. And you get really good, honest feedback. The people who are going to be enjoying it are the customers, so you definitely want to engage them as early in the process as possible. Sometimes the flavors that we learn the most out of are the ones that, that don't work. Um, I always think, you know, probably the first person to ever pick a vanilla bean off the, uh, a vanilla bush and eat it, it tastes terrible. A, van <laughs> a vanilla bean does not taste very good. It's very bitter. It, it pulls the moisture out of your mouth. It's... It probably, you know, I think about thousands of years ago, who, whoever first tried it probably thought it was poisonous. It's, it just doesn't taste very good, okay. but you take vanilla and you, you soak it in an extract liquid for, you know, kind of make a, a tea out of it and let it sit there for a few weeks. All of a sudden you have vanilla extract. And yeah. We put that in every dessert that we can think of. I mean, it's in cakes, cookies, brownies. It's, the, it's the, one of the most popular desserts out there. So sometimes it's finding that weird ingredient, finding a, a, an interesting way to develop it to something that people love. Just as in engineering, they learn from when they make something that doesn't work, too. Failure is, is, is a lot of times a good thing because you realize, okay, next time when I do this, I'm not going to do that. Man, I put a lot of cinnamon in this flavor, and the cinnamon was so strong that it overpowered all the other ingredients. People aren't going to like it. Next time, I'm going to go cut the cinnamon in half and see what that does. 
All of this information from testing is recorded to help them judge new flavors and keep quality control for old ones. Our store managers actually, um, part of their software that they have on their, their, their iPads at their stores is uh, one of them is a, a review form note that basically, hey, this is a new flavor and they know to do it for the new flavors, but even if it's a flavor they've, you know, a, a regular standard flavor that they've had a lot of and it's just, it's off for some reason. Mm-hmm. They can give us that feedback and say, hey, this batch of vanilla um, dated this date, it tastes a little bit off, here's what I'm tasting, and then we can go back and kind of figure out, hey, what happened there? Was it, was it just a fluke? You know, we know everything that was made on that day, kind of the, the whole schedule of what was made, and we can kind of backwards track and say, okay, here's the things that could be. It, it may not be the exact answer, but it, it may be like, oh, wow, that was, you know, so-and-so's first day working and you expect to have a few mistakes on somebody's first day just as they're learning the system. So maybe they didn't you know, read the recipe correctly or maybe they were, they're still you know, kind of nervous and spilled something, but you know, it's, uh, it, it allows us, or conversely, if, if, if it's, hey man, this, this batch of ice cream was, I've had it a thousand times and today's batch was just amazing out of this world, whatever you did, different, that makes it amazing, please repeat that and yeah. you know, it can even be something as uh, simple as we know that on days when there's not a lot of humidity in the air, the ice cream making process is a lot easier. The ice cream turns out better because you're not again pulling the, that extra moisture into the air. So, so the the you know the temperature and the humidity and uh, affects us on rainy days. The ice cream making is a little bit harder. It goes a little bit slower because you're kind of fighting the humidity in the air. Just making sure you know again what what the process was, why something turned out great, or why something didn't turn out how you wanted to, and being able to account for that, or correct it, or change it, or anticipate it, balance it out with something else. Joe said it's important for Amy's to keep on producing new flavors for different neighborhoods. How does Amy's come up with them? In a normal month, we'll produce about 300 different flavors of ice cream. Kind of always try and do ones and send new ones out. So when it comes to designing a new flavor, we, we do have a process. So it's it's you know something as simple as find find the, the germination of an idea. You know somebody wakes up and says, "Oh my gosh, I've got it! Here's the best new flavor," and or, or taking two two opposing flavors and finding a way to put them together. And so we we often have brainstorming sessions uh, where we'll just sit around. And, Say, hey, next week at our meeting, everybody comes with two new ideas or two fun ideas, and you get everything from something really, uh, you know, kind of very gourmet and fancy to, you know, how come we've just never added chocolate chips to this? So they listen to customer requests, develop new flavors, and do rounds of testing, interacting with customers again, attempting to quantify their opinions. They can use this data to target pretty specific customers. You kind of get some neighborhood trends. Um, one of uh, a great example is um, we, we've made a flavor that uh, I've been for several years. It's called mango rose pistachio. So it's a mango based ice cream with little rose water and and uh, blended pistachio stirred in. So it's a it's a very um, you know, Mediterranean South Asian set of flavors, and we have a few locations that it does really well at. Uh, one is our Arboretum store because uh, it's 
that that community there's a there's a lot of you know uh, Mediterranean southeastern families who live there and so that's a kind of a more normal flavor to them. Our other location uh, is our San Antonio store, which is right close to the Air Force Base, and a lot of the the soldiers who have spent time overseas in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, the the desserts that they enjoy while they're over there, a lot of the cuisine, rose water is kind of like the vanilla huh. that's used. So while we put vanilla in everything in all of our desserts here, rose water is is very common there. So it's a flavor that candies and their baklavas and their treats and their ice creams and kheer all have a little rose water so it's just kind of a happy little flavor again desserts are kind of a happy treat it's what people eat to celebrate the end of a meal and so that those two locations those flavors are really appreciated out of those customer bases any other store that we send it to it doesn't do that well people it's it's just different enough that people don't necessarily appreciate the the rose water flavor um even even some of our you know we know that at some of our stores that are in more uh, like school and family areas that candy and cookie and, and you know flavors that we named after Star Wars characters are going to do really well and whereas some of our little more uh, highbrow and, and flavors that are designed after you know signature cocktails uh, are going to do better downtown kind of near the bar district so right, if right, you make up uh, you know we make a flavor called Tito is the dude it's made with Tito's vodka and it tastes like a white Russian and it's it's a little more it's a really delicious flavor but it doesn't really sell well at a, a store right next to an elementary school but it sells really well downtown in the uh, entertainment district. So ultimately, like you're looking at the numbers and the data, mm-hmm. and that tells you if you're serving your customers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the, the, it, it's, if you ask customers what they want, they'll give you the, again, it's, sometimes it's just asking the questions, and sometimes it's even just seeing, wow, we sent that tub of ice cream there, and it disappeared in four hours. Whereas we sent a tub there that wasn't that popular at that location, and it sat there for three days. By now, Joe described how Amy's already uses a lot of methods and technologies related to the engineering field, so I asked him if there was any new ice cream technology out there that he would like to see. Um, I, of course, always just the more data we can get in, uh, but it's, it's sometimes the, the man hours of getting that data, of gathering the data, outweighs the benefits, so it's kind of, make, kind of knowing that balance of getting the data and you know, I spent twelve hours getting this data, and I'm only getting one hour worth of worth out of it. So you, you want to make sure you're kind of spending spending your effort and spending your money in that that direction. Um, could always like to find new ingredient, new ways to adapt new ingredients. So a lot of times it's just that that information sharing, the culture sharing of how do you take a weird ingredient and find a fun way to, to present it out there. Yeah. And beyond that, just better and more efficient, energy efficient freezer equipment. Uh, that's that's again, if the ice cream doesn't stay frozen, we're we're in trouble. So yeah, that's, uh, especially as in Texas, uh, it's in, in Texas in the summer, you know, better ACs, better insulation. That's always yeah. kind of what we we like to look at and see. So, future engineers, get working on that. Tell people to kind of eat with their mind open and 
try new things again. There, there may be a flavor of ice cream that just sounds disgusting to you, but go ahead and give it a try. Those are the minds that I want because, again, you never know when you're going to find that next great flavor. To help solidify everything I heard from Joe, I spoke to engineering teacher and chemical engineer, Melanie Kong. She's also a self-professed ice cream aficionado, so I thought she might have ideas on integrating this into the classroom. One of the pathways that chemical engineers can go into is in food. That was actually something that I looked into. So I had worked for Procter & Gamble and consumer products, and I also interviewed at companies like PLA working at, and making um, consumer food. So food is definitely a viable option for chemical engineers out there. What would chemical engineers do in like the the ice cream production facility out there, the generic one? So chemical engineers, the, the research and development chemical engineers would work on the lab scale ice cream testing. So how do we make more creamy ice cream? How do we get these flavors in there? And they'd work at maybe the scale that we would usually make ice cream in at home. Um, and they would figure out what is the best recipe at the lab scale. And then chemical engineers would also work on how, now that we have this perfect recipe that our research development engineer worked on, how do we scale that up and make uh, millions of tons of ice cream in our processing plant? Sounds like a fun job. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, I happen to know um, somebody who interned at, at Haagen-Dazs, and he was working in the strawberry cheesecake line, and he said he gained 15 pounds that summer. They have like a division just for strawberry cheesecake? Well, so it was in a pilot plant. So this is in between the lab scale and the full production okay. facility. So it was in the in-between line. And like during that time, you're just testing for, okay, what changes to the process should we make? Are these changes good for the ice cream? And you're probably just turning out one flavor just because you're testing the process and not necessarily the flavors. So yeah, strawberry cheesecake was was there. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine because they must have a division for vanilla and chocolate and like all these other yeah. things. Well, I'm sure that there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of design that goes around. How do you schedule your batches? How do you clean out in between the different mm. flavors? And how long does that take? How do you make as many batches as possible within a certain amount of time? So all of that stuff goes into plant design. Would you say that even if you aren't an engineer, you might use engineering thinking? In a lot of yeah. these fields, yeah, for sure. I would I would say that even if you're not an engineer, you would definitely be applying that thought process to your work. And I'm sure that Amy's did it. I'm sure that other ice cream facilities have done it, where they're trying to figure out what is the best recipe. For instance, that that would be a starting place. And I'm pretty sure that they have done lots of testing. And mm. in their testing, they've probably varied some specific factors. They've varied the amount of cream, maybe. They varied their recipe. Um, how much of the flavoring to add, and I'm pretty sure that they did that in a consistent manner in order to figure out what's the best recipe. That's like or exactly. Maybe they, maybe they didn't. But yeah, no, that's like exactly did. what Joe Morris said, like about testing and all that stuff. Yeah, so I think that there's there's great engineering happening, even if they don't, they're not formally trained engineers. Are kids and teens interested in ice cream? I'm sure that kids and teens are interested in ice cream, or at least most of them are. Even Maybe if, some of them are lactose intolerant. I, I'm lactose intolerant, but I eat it anyway. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> they, right. They have lactate, which I'm sure some engineers were involved in making. 
finally, I presented to Melanie the open-ended big design challenge that I talked about at the beginning. So the design challenge is this. It is hot in Austin, in Texas, and your ice cream company has uh, lots of different locations around town. You need to get your ice cream to all your different ice cream parlors, even in horrible Austin traffic, without any of your ice cream melting uh, or, or reducing in quality along the way. What kinds of things could you design to help you keep your ice cream in a good condition? So gosh, as soon as you say that, I like immediately start thinking about things that are not related. But this kind of thinks, makes me think about that last question about ice cream technologies. Um, if you can maintain ice cream at the perfect eating temperature without it melting, that would be a new technology. Mm. So maybe that would be a solution is working on, the, working on the formula itself and see if there is a way to have ice cream maintain that texture for longer. But so... In what way are we supposed to take this challenge? Are we designing something that the ice cream is in? Are we designing? Are we designing the system? Um, so that was or- purposely unsaid. So mm-hmm. you're right. You have options. You could change the formula. Okay. You could change the the system. So the things I'm seeing that we can change. We can change the ice cream itself. We can change what the ice cream is being carried in or saved in. The the truck, for example, could be designed. Or like the container, or both. Yes, or both. Or the formula, or you can figure out a different way to... If, if It could just be a, you know, optimizing the paths that you take to your different... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. It could be a way that you... If you do it in series, and maybe you know you like stash that ice cream in that other thing. Oh, you're right. 30 yeah. minutes and get that firm again before you keep on going. I don't know. <laughs> that's like the Uber challenge, trying yeah. to find the optimal path no that's cool yeah it reminds me of like you know in computer science ones too it's like how many paths can you take to get between the these few things so so this is a nice open-ended problem yeah definitely it's definitely open-ended in terms of the kinds of solutions so i think that the kinds of in terms of what students might do with this and you see students learning anything from it i think it would really depend on what you are trying to get them to learn Mm -hmm. i've definitely seen cool lessons around heat transfer and like heat transfer, you know, coefficients and different materials and conductivity of heat. So it would basically be a thermodynamics lesson where you would have mm. to redesign the packaging of the ice cream and what kinds of materials would you use in order to create something that would keep heat in for longer or keep, yeah. Right. So if you're saying if you wanted to turn something like this into a lesson, mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted to turn this ice cream challenge into a lesson, you'd have to restrict it more so that the learning goals are more targeted. I think it would depend on what class you're teaching. If you're teaching an engineering class and this might be like final design challenge and you just wanted to see what how students approach the problem, it would be really cool to keep it open-ended and be really cool to see what are the different ways that you can approach this problem, what are the different ways that you can break apart this problem. Maybe it could be an exercise in systems where like, hey, you should work on the pathways, we're going to work on the different, mm. on the packaging itself. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think in, a, in an open-ended class like engineering where we might not have as many specific standards that we need to deliver on that would be great i think in the classes like chemistry or physics if there are specific learning targets i think it would be a great problem we would just have to narrow mm-hmm. our our design solutions yeah i'm glad you mentioned systems engineering as well because i did not think of that at all but that totally makes sense well thank you melanie all right thanks bias Thank you.
Now that you heard Melanie's thoughts on designing an ice cream distribution system and on related engineering lessons, let me know your thoughts too. Review the show on iTunes, connect on Twitter, or find me at k12engineering.net. Thanks to everyone who spoke to me for this episode, and thank you especially to Joe Morris of Amy's Ice Cream in Austin for the tour and talk. For links to videos of Amy's Ice Cream workers flipping balls of ice cream and doing other tricks, check out the show notes. You might get some ideas for physics lessons while contemplating the kinematics of cookies and cream. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of any schools, companies, or other groups with which we might be connected. Our opening music comes from School Zone by The Honorable Sleaze. You can check them out on SoundCloud. Our closing music is from Late for School by Bleeptor. Both are used under Creative Commons attribution licenses. Thanks for listening. Hi, Rachel. Hi again, Pius. Some of you might remember Rachel from previous episodes of the podcast, and I just have a quick question for you, Rachel. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh my gosh. I have to pick one? If you can. <sighs> well, you know what? I, I, I'm all about... Some people are going to argue with me and be disappointed, but let me. I'm going to tell you why this is. Controversy. I love vanilla. That was a high five. Um, Not a slap to the face. (laughs) I love vanilla as well. Here's why. It's incredibly versatile. It is a blank slate. It's it's like, it's the canvas of the Bob Ross. Like, I'm Bob Ross painting a picture, only I'm actually just eating ice cream. But I could have caramel, or I could have strawberry, or I could have salted chocolate caramel or I could have butterscotch or I could have blueberry or I could have a billion different things but it all starts with vanilla. I would say the same thing. That's my argument. I call it the rice of desserts. You can mix it with other things. But in a way I do find it a cheating answer sometimes like wishing for more wishes because you're right. It is like the ice cream of all ice creams. Except that you know what? I honestly just enjoy a good bowl of plain vanilla Ice cream as you know, well. I can get even more specific. The vanilla that I like is the milk-based icy uh, French vanilla bean. Or no, not French vanilla. Sorry. Just the vanilla bean ice yes. cream. When you can actually see the beans, the seeds yes, the in seeds. it. Yes, I, I agree. Right. And I don't like the yolk in it. Nope. Nope. That's okay. Oh, dang. I guess in, based on our previous episode, <laughs> we have, we're in the same mind again. Right. flavor. Right. On the count of three, what's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> One, One, two, two three. three. Vanilla. vanilla. <laughs> All right.